0: you got your Bible, uh, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, and we're going to be continuing our, our series in the Gospel of John. First off, I want to say congrats on surviving the blizzard of 2018. Um, we will rebuild is the, uh, the tagline I'm working on. So uh, John, chapter 16, I want to start, this, this will be an abrupt transition from Christmas music, but um, if, if you would have asked me uh, when I was younger what kind of music I listened to or what kind of music I liked, I would have been very clear that there was a kind of music that I despised, and that is country western music. And I, I know that's, that's, that's a hard thing to say. It's controversial. Um, I listen to rock and roll. I listen to, to Christian music. But I would tell you, like, I don't like country music. And I even unearthed, Facebook has this sort of time-lapse thing. It'll show you pictures from a while back. And I have a picture of Brianna and I that showed up on my feed where I'm doing this really, I know like I look like such a rock star right now in my blazer, but I I did not like country music. But I don't know if you've ever had a habit that you engage in when nobody else is, you know, around. Uh, But in my 1981 Toyota Corolla, when no one else was with me, I would Turn the uh, the radio occasionally to ninety seven country in Topeka, Kansas, and and sing loudly when no one else was was around. I had this sort of secret, this sort of secret guilty pleasure. But um, there was one thing I noticed when I was listening to the country music and not telling anybody that there is a, a kind of common theme, a sort of trope or a recurring theme in some country music. It's probably there in other music. Uh, as well, but I, I would simply just call it the lever, the theme of the, the lever, the sort of romanticized lever, the person who's just destined to be a rambling man who just can't stay put. And so just to give you a couple examples of this, this is uh, from Oklahoma's own Toby Keith talking about the, uh, the great Western uh, gun smoke and describing Marshall Dillon in his relationship with, with Miss Kitty, he says this. I'm not going to sing this, so you're welcome. Um, I bet you never heard old Marshall Dillon say, Miss Kitty, have you ever thought of running away, settling down? Would you marry me if I asked you twice and begged you pretty please? She'd have said yes in a New York minute, but they never tied the knot. His heart wasn't in it. He just stole a kiss as he rode away. He never hung his hat at Kitty's place. And then, of course, the chorus. I, sh- I should have been a cowboy, right? He says, I, that's, that's awesome. The guy just leaves. He never settles down with Miss Kitty. He just leaves. He's, he's a leaver. And then from a more recent one, this is the Zac Brown Band, which I actually do. I will admit I actually like them. Um, in their song, it says, she'd trade Colorado if he'd take her with him. Closes the door before the winter lets the cold in. And wonders if her love is strong enough to make him stay. She's answered by the taillights shining through the windowpane. And he goes on, she says, you're just a rambling man. You ain't ever going to change. You've got a gypsy soul to blame. And you were born for leaving. You're a lever. And, and it sort of like romanticizes this notion of this guy who just can't settle down. You know, Marshall Dylan. he could have Miss Kitty, but he'd really prefer his horse if he's really honest. And, and that's sort of romanticized. And I, I would listen to these songs and I would be like, why are, we, why are we romanticizing leaving? Like, don't dress up abandonment and call it love. Why are we romanticizing leaving. People who leave their loved ones um, unnecessarily are not heroes. They're not sexy. They're, to be honest, they're kind of sad. Don't dress up abandonment and, and call it love. And I know I'm like really overanalyzing a Toby Keith song, which is, which is I think, you, just by reading it, you're doing that. But um, all of us if we're, if we're honest, all of us have dealt with abandonment at some level, and especially in the, in the moment, it wasn't romantic, it wasn't awesome or, or cool. Um, my, my daughter Penelope, every time her grandpa Brian leaves, she cries and she cries and she hates, he feels like he's never coming back. I had a student, she's told this, this story publicly about growing up in, a, in just a very difficult home life and reestablishing a relationship with her biological dad and then coming back to his apartment one night and realizing that he had moved out, packed up all his belongings and never told her. And she'd say, don't dress up abandonment and call it love, there's nothing Romantic about the lever. But that raises a question for our passage. And the question is why did Jesus leave? I mean, he conquers death. He shows us how to live and love. He heals. He leads. He teaches. And then at the end of the Gospels, he leaves. And he doesn't stick around and cure cancer. He doesn't become the greatest emperor that Rome ever had. He leaves. And so the question is, how could Jesus' leaving ever be good news? And you may have noticed the sermon title. I, I typically go for the strangest title I can think of. And today's title is, Good News, Jesus Left. Because in John chapter 16, he says this line that I want you to just keep in your, in your memory. He says, it is for your good that I am going away. Which raises the question, like, how could that ever be true? So John chapter 16, we'll read this together. Beginning in verse 5, it says this. Jesus is speaking. But now, I am going to him who sent me. and he will then tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is God's word. That, that one line, he says, it is for your good that I am going away. And Jesus is speaking here of kind of two things. On the one hand, he's speaking about he's about to go away in death, he's about to go to the cross, but probably even more than that, he's speaking not just of his death, but of his ascension, where he returns to heaven, he goes back up to heaven, and he says it's for your good that I'm going away. And so if there's a big idea, if there's just sort of one single takeaway from this message, the thing that Jesus is saying in this passage to, the, to his followers but also to us would be this, that the ascension isn't an abandonment. When Jesus leaves, when he returns to heaven, the ascension, the ascension isn't an abandonment. What it, what it really is is the detonator the ascension is the detonator, it's the prerequisite, it's the spark that ignites the fire of Pentecost. It ignites the fire of the Holy Spirit. He says, it's for your good that I'm going away, because if I do that, the Spirit, the advocate will come. One reason it's, it's not an abandonment is that Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew 28 that he's with us always, even to the ends of the earth. And so even though He ascends, He isn't abandoning us. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so although He ascends, He isn't abandoning us. He ascends, it says here, so that He can send His Spirit. And the ascension is is, is many things, but one of the things it is is the detonator or the spark that ignites the fire of of Pentecost. Um, But but it does sort of give us an application, because I'll I'll just be honest, like if I'm one of the disciples, when Jesus leaves, I'm like, that's a bad day. I mean, that's way worse than Penelope when her grandpa leaves. It's way worse than Miss Kitty when Matt Dillon rides off into the sunset. I mean, it, it seems like bad news when Jesus ascends. And he does not bodily return in the same way until his second coming. And so maybe one of the applications from this passage is that we need to be careful when we diagnose our bad news. I imagine for the disciples that the ascension seemed like bad news when Jesus leaves. And yet he says, it's for your good that I go we need to be careful. Um, I don't know if you ever self diagnose We live in a WebMD Web MD age, which is risky. Like I just put out on Facebook mistakenly the other day that my feet had been kind of cold lately. You wouldn't believe the diagnoses I received. I, I'm, I'm dying, um, and so are you. But uh, it, we live in this age where it's very easy to self-diagnose. We have WebMD, we have things like that. Um, but we need to be careful when we diagnose What we see is bad news. There is such a thing as bad news. There are bad things. But one of the things that stands out in the ascension and other places is that the God of the Bible often sends his gifts in what seems like lousy packaging. Amen? It's like a guy at Christmas time trying to wrap it himself, right? It's like, I've got this good gift. It seems like it's poorly packaged, right? Or poorly wrapped. He sends his son as an unplanned teenage pregnancy. He sends salvation wrapped in a Roman cross. He sends resurrection wrapped in a borrowed tomb. He launches movements led by fishermen. And with God, even what seems like the worst news comes with redemptive side effects. The ascension is like that. I imagine that it seems like bad news that Jesus announces. He says, well, you look sad, right? And yet he says it's actually good news wrapped in what you think is, is bad news. It's like the opposite of a prescription drug commercial. <laughs> I was watching some football on Thanksgiving, and we used to have like commercials for trucks and life insurance. Now it's like 99% drugs, which is very odd because I consider like most people watching can't prescribe them. But you've seen the drug commercials that almost the whole commercial is the possible negative side effects. Like it will make you grow hair out of your eyeballs or something, you know, just, just FYI. Um, what, what Jesus says is, this seems like that this is not a cure for anything, but the side effect is actually beneficial. That when the Spirit comes, if I go, the Spirit will come and the Spirit will guide you into all truth. But you might ask like, well, okay, that's great that the Spirit is going to come, Jesus. It's great that you're going to send your Spirit. But like, why, why must Jesus go in order to send the Spirit? I mean, the Spirit's active in the Gospels. The Spirit's active from Genesis 1 and in creation. Why does He say that He has to go in order to send the spirit. And I subtitled this question, um, does the Trinity have, quote, a trampoline rule? And I'll tell you why. I took my kids to, a, to like a play area recently and there was a trampoline and it was very different than the trampolines that we had growing up because it had protective sidewalls um, around it. And it had a giant sign that said only one at a time could use the trampoline, right? And we, that is not the way we use the trampoline. Um, and so it raises the question when Jesus says, like, why, does, why can only one member of the Trinity apparently be active on earth? Jesus says, I have to go or the Spirit won't come. Why must Jesus go? And I think on the one hand, I need to answer some of these questions honestly and say, I don't know, all right? That's moving on. Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> Point number one. The Spirit, first of all, we could say this. The Spirit is the empowering presence of Christ, right? Paul repeatedly speaks of the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. And that's why Jesus says, I'll never, ever leave you. The Spirit is distinct from Jesus, right? It's not just a sort of like a different mode of Jesus, it's the distinct person, but the Spirit is also united to Jesus. And as long as Jesus remains on earth physically, He's limited to one spot at one time, right? Because He's he's an incarnate human being. And the Spirit, we could say, is not limited in that same way. And so there are some things we could say, but, but here's my best... My best sort of theological guess, and it's just that, on why Jesus says it's really important that I go so that the Spirit can come. I think it's God's desire. I think God's desire is for a people, for children who will do His work themselves, not on their own strength, right, not on their own merits. But I think God's desire has always been from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 for a people who will do his work. And so he doesn't say, all right, Jesus, you stay down and you do all the work yourself. He says, Jesus, you ascend and I'll send my spirit so that they can become my hands and feet. God's desire is for a people who will do his work. And I was thinking about this as I was listening to a podcast this, this week on a, a new concept. I had not heard of this concept. Um, it's called free-range parenting. Have you ever heard of this? Um, <laughs> we had an incident of free-range parenting accidentally uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was taking a shower. Brianna was working out, and the, the mailman rang the door. And he had found Teddy about three blocks down on his trike. And, um, and I went out and retrieved him and my neighbor was filming. <laughs> I think because he, was, he thought it was funny, also maybe because he was going to turn me into Child Protective Services, but that was an incident of unintentional free-range parenting. Um, Teddy escaped. But there's also a book on this. You know, some of you, it's kind of a controversial book and I'm not necessarily endorsing it, but it's called Free-Range Kids, How to Raise Safe, Self-Reliant Children. Um, without going nuts with worry. And it's controversial because one of the things it argues is that parents have become too helicopter-ish, that we protectively bubble wrap our children and we nerf the world and it keeps them from actually learning skills that sometimes they have to learn by being left alone, right? The danger is, well, the danger is danger. (laughs) The danger is... Teddy three blocks down on a trike. Um, but the, the idea of this podcast was that sometimes children need to be given some space to figure out how to live in this world without sort of a helicopter parent, right? That has risks, obviously, right? That has risks. But one of my theories about why Jesus says, look, I have to go, Right? is that God wants a people empowered by his spirit who will do his work. That the Trinity desires us to be the hands and feet of Jesus rather than having Jesus just stay and do it all himself. And so he says, it's for your good, it's for your good that I'm going away. And so with that sort of preface, why is that? Why is it for our good? And so we're going to look at three aspects of the Spirit's work in this passage. And these are different from some of the things that I've talked about previously when when we talked about the Spirit. But the first thing that, that John says or Jesus says in John is that the Spirit comes to prove the wrong. The Spirit comes to prove the wrong. Jesus says in verse 8, when He comes, He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in Me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see Me. And about judgment, because the Prince of this world stands condemned. He says one aspect of the Spirit's work is to prove um, the wrong. And I don't know how many of you have ever tried uh, to prove someone wrong by force of argument, (laughs) I do it once a month, twice on Sunday mornings, Um, it, it usually doesn't go well, right? Like most people don't change their minds because they lost an argument, right? We tend to dig in our feet when someone tries to prove us wrong by force of argument. The spirit comes to prove the wrong right? One of the words here, the word is advocate. It's sometimes translated as um, comforter. But one scholar says that it's actually, in this passage, you could translate it best as attorney. The Spirit is another attorney. That will be the only time in my pastoral career that I ever compare God to a lawyer. Um, But the Spirit, Jesus says, is another advocate or Michael Horton says, another attorney. Next slide. Horton says this in his new book on the Holy Spirit. He says, Christ's courtroom role is exercised for us outside of us, while the Spirit's is exercised within us, bringing us to acknowledge our guilt and to receive pardon in Christ before His return in judgment at the last day. He says, one of the reasons that the Spirit is able to prove the wrong in a way that's more effective than how I am able to prove the wrong is the Spirit isn't standing over us, wagging a finger, but the Spirit speaks from within us. The Spirit is the voice from within. And so while we often think of the, the Spirit as a sort of encourager and the Spirit is that, One of the kindest things that the Holy Spirit ever, ever does for you is whisper on the inside, you're wrong. You're wrong. One of the kindest things that the Spirit does for us is to whisper, you're wrong. And to have that whisper come from within is more effective, it's more powerful, than having it come from, from without. The Spirit's voice can be resisted. Acts chapter 7 says this. Stephen says, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit, right? So the Spirit can be resisted, but the Spirit is persuasive and persistent. And he says, Jesus says, one of the reasons he comes is to prove the wrong. To prove the wrong. So maybe the application for some of us is, for some of you today, the Spirit has been talking to you. The Spirit's been talking, and the Spirit's been saying in one area or another, I don't know what area it is, I have no idea, in one area or another of your life, look, you're wrong. What you've been doing is wrong, or what you've been saying is wrong, or how you've been saying it is is wrong. Or... This area, there's something, there's something wrong here. And so, the application for some of us is to listen to the voice of the Spirit and to move to admit that the Spirit is right and to, to repent and to change. The Spirit comes, Jesus says, to prove the wrong. The word prove seems important, does it not? It's not just like a suggestion It's a verdict, it's a a proof that something needs to change, and that's actually good news when the Spirit does that. Second thing, the Spirit doesn't just come to prove the wrong, but the Spirit comes to guide in truth, to guide us in the truth. Verse 12 says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. And so there there are two images, oftentimes in the Bible, for the Spirit. One is the image of the Spirit within us. And this is the image of the temple or the tabernacle or the sanctuary because the Spirit dwelt in the temple. And so the idea now is that your body is a temple, and so the Spirit is within you, and that's why you hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to you. But the image Jesus moves to next is not the the image of the Spirit within you, but the image of the Spirit guiding you, the Spirit leading you. And this is an image that Jesus takes and the other writers of Scripture take from the Exodus. To be guided by the Spirit is the language of the Exodus and the wilderness. Israel is, is led by the Spirit, two pillars, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of Fire that symbolized the Spirit leading them. And Jesus says, in the same way, you will be guided by the Spirit. Exodus 13 says, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Jesus says, it's good that I go away because if I go away, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. Spirit will not depart um, one of the things I think that God says through his spirit is, is this, next slide, that I'm not leaving you, I will guide you, keep walking, keep walking. I'm guiding you into truth, but Jesus says at the beginning of this, like, I have a lot more to say than, than you can bear right now. It's going to take some time. And you need to be guided, keep being guided by the Spirit. I was listening to a, a podcast this past week or two weeks, and there was a guy on there talking about, he had found recovery ministry of some kind. He had suffered from addiction, and, and so he had been through the 12 steps, as, as many of you have in one way or another. And, and he, was, he was staying at a, a guy's house, a friend's house, and he got up early in the morning, and nobody else was around. And he was just sort of, as you sometimes do, if you're really honest, when you're at someone else's house, you just kind of get a little bit nosy. And you start, he started perusing the books that were on the bookshelf. And I was like, oh, I had that book, and I had that book. And, and he found the big book, not the Bible, but the big book of AA, and this sort of Alcoholics Anonymous book of wisdom. And he, because he himself was in a recovery program, he opened it up and he said, there on like the inside cover of the big book, he saw that his friend had scratched dates, right? December 17th, 1993, and then the date was scratched out. And sometimes he had made comments like, why are you so stupid? Why can't you get it together? Another date. March 15th 2000 and then the date was scratched out and then another date right April the 4th 2002 and it's just date and date and scratched out and scratched out until the last date 15 years ago and it wasn't scratched out and he said there was so much encouragement in that moment to know that somebody else was on this same journey of recovery. Somebody else had failed and and gotten up. Somebody else had struggled with the self-loathing of feeling like you just screwed up your life, right? And yet somebody else didn't quit on the journey. One of the functions of the Spirit is not just to prove the wrong but to guide in truth and to keep keep guiding in the truth. And just as in the wilderness, there are stumbles and there are failures and there are wrong turns, but it says in Exodus that the Spirit will not depart from His people. Jesus says it's for your good because the Spirit's going to guide you in truth. Last point. Last application, the Spirit comes to glorify the Son. Sometimes, I'll just be really honest, I, I, I have an outline and I feel good about it and so I turn it in to the, to the gang here that makes the copies of your update and, uh, and sometimes I give you all the points and sometimes I don't. And in this case, I didn't give you the actual verbiage. I just gave you the start of the point. The Spirit comes to blank. And I had this whole other point this week until I realized that the Bible didn't say that. (laughs) Like at all. Like I just made it up because I thought it sounded good. And, and what the point I had was a very sort of like, and there and wait, there's more. Not only does the spirit guide into truth, not only does the spirit prove in the wrong, right? There's more. And then I realized that the last one wasn't about you. And it wasn't about me. It was about Jesus. That the spirit doesn't just come to give us stuff, in a, in a sort of Santa Claus esque fashion. But the Spirit comes to guide in truth, but also to glorify the Son. Verse 14, he will glorify me. And the me there is not me or or you, but the Son. He will come to glorify me, the Son, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And I wonder if in some ways this isn't a solution to our holiday consumerism right? The Spirit is a gift. The Spirit is spoken of as a gift, capital G, both in the Scriptures and in church tradition, right? So, the Spirit is a gift, but one of the greatest gifts of the Spirit is to take the spotlight off of me and to place it onto Jesus. The Spirit comes to glorify The sun, that's a solution in many ways to our holiday consumerism. The spirit whispers in your ear, Jesus is better, period. Jesus is better than whatever else you're trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction and worth and meaning in. He's better. And by glorifying the sun and taking the spotlight off of me, there's a solution to my narcissism, to my self-absorption, to my selfishness, because I realize that that Jesus is, is better. The Spirit glorifies the Son, and that in many ways is the greatest gift that the Spirit gives. Amen? It's for your good, Jesus says, that I go away, because if I do, the Spirit will come. And so I wanted to leave some time today at the end of the service to do an exercise that we did weeks ago when I, when I preached. And it's an exercise in, in prayer. It's in your update. Um, you can follow along there if you want. It's an exercise in prayer, but it's also an exercise in breathing because the Spirit is spoken of as the breath, the wind of God. And so I want to leave space today for the Spirit to speak to you. Maybe that's to prove the wrong. Maybe that's to encourage you and guide you in truth. Maybe that's to point the spotlight to Jesus. But my sense is that that'll happen not from me talking, but from the Spirit speaking. And so let's close our eyes and let's, let's engage with this exercise in prayer. Be still, the scriptures say, and know that I am God. And so for each one of these three parts, we're going to do another exercise. And for the first one, I want you to breathe in. Be still. And for the pause, for the hold, I want you to enjoy, to know God's presence. And for the breathing out, I want you to release your anxiety to God, be still and know that He is God. Be still and know that He is God. Be still and know that He is God. At this time, we're going to have one of our elders, one of our leaders come forward and end the service in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Sovereign Lord, thank You um, that in Your plan You sent Your Spirit to be in and amongst us. Thank You for the fact that we can daily rely upon you for guidance and wisdom to live out this life that you have provided for us to live. And I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that died on the cross so that we can live this life in victory. And Lord, I just ask that as we go out from this church this morning and as we leave these relationships, uh, maybe for a week, maybe longer, but that we would leave each other um, with the spirit of, of that victory that we have in you. And just give us the grace and the mercy we need so that we can go out and bring glory to your name. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Have a great week.